If you're experiencing pain in your testicles, your genitals may be dying. Well, hello once again, uh, Vocal Cures. I was trying to think of a nickname for you guys. Q-Balls. Hello, Q. Ooh, I like that one. If you hate Q-Balls, you got to let me know. But uh, hello, Q-Balls. Welcome to the second episode of the Vocal Cues podcast. All about voice acting, all about those amazing voices from your childhood. Uh, well, partially because we uh, might need to change that. You'll hear me constantly mention in this podcast when I have an amazing guest who has voiced something in the last, eh, let's say, 20 years. Not really my childhood anymore. Um, this happens to be just such a guest today. Now, last week, our very first episode, we had the amazing Mr. Billy West, um, an icon of voice acting who's been in movies, television, advertisements. His voice is everywhere. It can be heard everywhere. Uh, this is an individual who has a very specific niche when it comes to the voice acting world. And yet, he has an absolutely amazing, dare I say prolific, because I love that word, prolific, diverse career in the arts, Mr. James Urbaniak. You know James as the voice of Dr. Venture from the Venture Brothers. This just happens to be one of those interviews where I lucked out. James was so kind with his time and uh, able to get back to me as soon as possible, basically. And within a week, I had an interview with him. He was always somebody on my list that I wanted to have on the show because I love Venture Brothers. And it just so happens that it coincides with the fact that only a couple weeks ago, it was announced that Venture Brothers, after seven seasons, I believe, and 17 years of production, now, of course, seven seasons and 17 years, but 17 years, something like that, uh, of production finally was canceled. And of course, we talk about that because how can you not talk about a show that was a part of your life, part of my life too, for 17 years? I think it was 14 years of production in actuality. It was 2003 was the very first season. 2017 is when they recorded the final season. But it just so happens that that's what Venture Brothers was all about. They thought maybe they'd be canceled a few times. They were brought back. They were renewed or, you know, there'd be many years in between production. That's kind of what made it worth it for me. It was always worth the wait. James Urbaniak is a man who has lived the arts, theater, film, television. Uh, you know, his, his partner, Sarah, is a wonderful artist in her own respect. I mean, this is a family and this is a man who respects the arts. And I love talking to people like this because it tells you how, uh, how encyclopedic this guy's knowledge is when it comes to the arts, and yet how humble he is. This was an absolute pleasure, and I hope you enjoy my chat with Mr. James Urbaniak. Oh, hello! I didn't see you there. This is James Urbaniak, the voice of Dr. Venture. That's why I'm doing this voice right now, though it's pretty much my own voice. You're listening to Vocal Cues with Michael Wynn Johnson. Have a scientastic day. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome uh, an amazing guest that I am a huge fan of. Please welcome Mr. James Urbaniak. James, how are you? Thank you very much, Mike. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, and I must say, it's been a reminder that uh, present company accepted. Uh, there are people who grew up with the Venture Brothers. There are many adult humans who uh, were kids when it started, and they've they've reminded me of that on Twitter. Well, and that's stuff. and see, that speaks <laughs> to the the power and the longevity of the show for sure. It's crazy because, as you know, we did seven seasons, but the show, the pilot premiered 17 years ago. Right. So there's been a very long turnaround between seasons. <laughs> to, <laughs> but to you say, know, uh, that, that's got to be, I mean, let's just jump right into it. That's got to be just such a huge compliment to what you, the cast, uh, Jackson, Chris, were all able to do is that, you know, we were so patient for this show. And every time, regardless if it was a year Sometimes in between, nobody cared. We exactly. were thrilled that a new season was coming out. Yeah, there, there, are, there, there was a section of the audience that consistently thought the show was over throughout the run because it was such a long turnaround right. <laughs> between seasons. But I felt the same way. I was just patiently waiting for the new scripts to arrive. It was always a great pleasure to start getting the scripts for the new season. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, pleasure for because, the audience yeah, as well. It was so great. It was one of the great experiences, really. Yeah. Well, that's good. And, you know, we'll speak to some of your other experiences because you have had quite a career, quite a, an extensive 
broad artistic career, I think, when you delve into some of the <laughs> other arts. So, you know, I love talking to my voiceover guests for sure, but I, I definitely want to touch on that, on some of that stuff. Um, of course. I want to hear first, though, how did you get involved uh, 17 years ago? I hear Jackson was a friend of a friend, something like that. Exactly. Yeah, uh, I, I'm an old friend of a cartoonist named Bob Sikoriak. Uh, he, he, his work is published on, under his initial Robert R, R. Sikoriak. But we were roommates a long time ago in the early 90s, like, what is that, 30 years ago? Right. And uh, we were good friends and roommates, and we used to hang out a lot together outside of the apartment. And because he was a professional cartoonist, I ended up meeting a lot of cartoonists and people in animation, which is very exciting for me because before I decided to be an actor when I was quite young, I thought maybe I'd want to be a cartoonist or a graphic artist. And I still draw like a very promising 18-year-old. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a kid who's pretty good, but should go to art school to, to get his technique a little stronger. But I never went beyond that uh, amateur. Prom I'm a promising amateur. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but so uh, Jackson Public was one of the guys who I met back then. He started out doing comics, and uh, I didn't know him that well, but I, I, I hung out with him and Bob a couple times, and then I remember this very well. One night, uh, Bob used to do these live shows where he would have cartoonists show their work, like not animation, but just like slides hmm. of, of cartoons and stuff. It was uh, He used to do these evenings that were really fun. In New York City, we all lived downtown. These were like at bars downtown and performance spaces. And one night, Bob was doing one of these shows where he showed, where cartoonists showed their work. Uh, part of that show was if, if there were word balloons in the comics, he'd have friends read the, read the words. So that was sort of my first voiceover work. Oh, nice. <laughs> was doing the words for Bob's, doing the voices for Bob's still film uh, uh, a strip, uh, right. slideshow type thing. Right, right. So anyway, we did one of those shows at a bar uh, in the East Village and a bar called KGB on East 4th Street. And Jackson came to that show. And afterwards, he had a little portfolio with him. And he said, hey, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm making a pilot for Adult Swim. It's called The Venture Brothers. And uh, I'd love you to do a, a, this character. And he opened it up. And there were very early drawings of Dr. Venture... And well, some of the main early characters, a couple of other characters who were thought of as primary, but later became very uh, peripheral. Right. Um, I remember Girl Hitler was featured, who <laughs> was sort of a one-off villain joke right. in like one episode. But uh, I guess this was like early 2000s or something. Yeah. Yeah, like because the show's been on for 17 years. So this is like early 2000s. And I had started doing voiceovers... I had done some like commercial voiceovers, but I hadn't really done animation yet. Okay. Uh, but he had seen me perform and stuff. He'd seen me perform downtown. And so I, of course, said, yes, sure. So we did, um, we did the pilot. And I remember, I've told this story before, but for those who haven't heard it, we went into the booth the first day to record the pilot. And I thought, okay. It's Dr. Venture. He's like a wacky scientist guy. So I started doing this kind of wacky scientist voice, kind of this rubbery, it sounds a little like a Billy West character, that kind of rubbery quality you're hearing. I was like, ding! And Jackson was like, uh, hey, let's pull back on that thing you're doing, just a little less of that. So then I was like, all right, hey, boys, a little less of that still. Dean, even less. And then I was just like, Dean, my own voice and Jackson was like, that's it. <laughs> I was like, well, you could have told me you just wanted my own voice, but the character really is just, it's my voice, but with a different energy. Right. I'm much more relaxed as you can tell than, <laughs> right. than the, this peptic Dr. Venture, <laughs> but that's how it all started. And then probably within a few months, I don't remember how long after we recorded the pilot, but then they, uh, I think they aired it and then, 
they got the green light and the rest was history, as they say. That's amazing. amazing. When did you know, at, at what given point, because like you had said, sometimes there was such a break that, you know, you might have even been worried about the show's future, but when oh, did yeah. you know this was a cult classic? When did you know it really latched on? Probably fairly early on, because like even after like the, I forget when I, probably when I first started going to conventions, like right. Dragon Con, Comic Con, which I'd never gone to before, that was my way into those wow. events. And so probably after the first or even the first season, we probably did some promotion and I could tell that people were really into the show. And then by the second season, again, it was just the fans were so into it. And I started to realize that people either had never heard of the show or they loved the show. There didn't right. appear to be any in between where people were like, yeah, the Venture Brothers, I see it now and then it's all right. right. They either were obsessively into it or had never heard of it. Right. Uh, that, <laughs> that was always very funny to me. But yeah, I mean, it's, it was a brilliant show, yeah. wonderfully written, and it just got deeper and the, the, the depth of the characters and, and, and it was always really funny, but there was also a kind of emotional life to the characters and the, and the world that just got deeper and expanded more as the seasons went on so yeah, and people so. really responded to that you know? yeah for sure what, what i marvel at with this show and i think why so many people latched onto it not just the sense of humor but the deep cuts when it comes to pop culture so there are comic yeah. book references massive music references and i want to start there with you because seen all of your posts on social media you seem to be i was i wasn't even going to say i can assume i think i know you have to be a huge music fan um you post about some classic albums i don't want to call them classic you know gen x but some new stuff as well you appreciate the classics so uh, somewhat yeah i think somewhat i'm not as i'm not as much a deep diver as jackson and doc are okay and i gotta say that more than once I had to ask them what a reference was. Okay. But I am, yeah, I think on, in terms of music, there's, yeah, I have a certain areas, but I'm, I sort of like stuff from every era. And then I have a kind of goofy Gen X pride that I, that I portray on Twitter now and then. <laughs> <laughs> Which other Gen Xers uh, yeah. can appreciate. I like it. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some would argue that I'm a late boomer, but I identify as a Gen Xer because I was born in 63. Okay, okay. Some people think Gen X begins in 65. Right. Others will accept that it's 61 because uh, what's-his-face who wrote the book? What's his name, darling? Do you remember? The guy who wrote the book, Generation X, the novelist. And he was born in, or the book came out in 61. Anyway, I'm spacing out his name, and that's a horrible thing for a Gen X, or maybe I am a boomer. Right. But uh, Douglas Copeland. Douglas okay. Copeland okay. wrote the book. You know that expression, Mike? Wrote the book? Well, he wrote the book called Generation <laughs> X, and he was born in 61. Same age as Obama. Although I don't, I guess you wouldn't really say Obama was a Gen Xer. He seems like a late boomer. Yeah. All right, we're getting into a major sidebar, but as you can see, I love this topic. Right. Well, this is great, you know, because I'm the same way. I will fight to be a Gen Xer. I was born in 80, and I've heard 80. all this garbage about we're Generation Y, or some people even say yes. millennials. No, thank you. No. That's, you're the equivalent of me and the boomers. You're there sort you of go. on the cusp of, yep. the, uh, of uh, two generations. There, there. you go. Yeah. So you can just go a couple weeks younger. I'll go a couple weeks older. And yeah, there you go. We'll meet, we'll meet in the middle. It's perfect. Suffice it to say, as much as I love Credence, I identify emotionally more with Nirvana than Credence Clearwater Revival, Beautiful. which I think is the way that you can tell if someone born in the early 60s is Gen X or Boom. I've spoken. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, so looking back then, now at 17 years, seven seasons, I mean, the show yes. kind of wrapped up, I guess, two years ago. Um, kind of that proverbial question or that, that broad question of what was your favorite memory from that entire time? Oh, man. I mean, there are so many. Uh, I do remember uh, there's an early episode, the famous testicular torsion episode, where Dean gets his testicles twisted. Mm-hmm. Uh, an event that occurred to Doc Hammer. It was drawn from the headlines that happened to him as a boy. Oh, God. Uh, it's kind of an after-school special, really, because it's based <laughs> on real 
things. And then there's a, you know, and at the end, we all do a little PSA. And they have us all speaking awkwardly about testicular torsion. <laughs> now, if you're, if you're experiencing pain in your testicles, your genitals may be dying. Dr. Venture says something ridiculous right. like that. Having this, I remember trying to record those few lines for the PSA, and I could not get through it because it was so goddamn funny. <laughs> <laughs> it took me like 20 minutes to do like three lines. Wow. That, that was just a classic moment from the recording of the show. But the, the, whole, the whole thing was just always such fun. Uh, the sessions, all the sessions were great. Yeah. And, and Jackson really directs very meticulously. He really knows what he wants. So they were, you really got to perform in the booth. And, and he really had specific ideas about what he wanted. But I just always enjoyed it. So I would say it was that. It was just just the recording of the show was like the most fun for me. And then the funny thing is because it was such a long turnaround when I would watch the show, I would have forgotten the scripts. So right. I was like a new viewer every time again. I was like, oh, that's funny. Did I say that? I think what fans of the show love is how familiar it seems, how we relate to these characters, like you said, but how they just love one another in this goofy kind of little universe that they exist in. You know, they can't do without one another. So yeah. was there an opportunity to reflect any of that? You know, did you kind of uh, ad lib at all? Or were you guys kind of, you know, feeding off of one another in the recording sessions or anything like that? Well, well, first of all, except for a few times the first season, everyone recorded separately. Okay. So it's a tribute to Jackson's direction and the actors that yeah. no one was ever in the booth together. So wow. when I'm the first like three or four seasons, I don't think I was even in the same city oh, wow. <laughs> as Patrick Warburton because I was in New York and then, then I, he was in LA and I moved to LA after the show had been on for like maybe four seasons or something. Right. So we hadn't even been in the same room together. I had actually met him years earlier, but before the Venture Brothers, but that's right. another story. So, but despite that, uh, the actors didn't know each other. Um, a lot of the actors from the beginning were people I knew. I, in fact, when the show started, I helped Jackson cast it. I sort of recommended people and I brought some people in that I knew from the New York theater scene and stuff. Amazing. So like Steve Rattazzi, who famously plays Dr. Orpheus, was right. a very old friend of mine who I'd known since the 80s, like in New York and stuff. And a lot of a lot of the performers were people I already knew. So just being friends with people and just knowing, and Jackson and Doc are such great guys. They have, everyone who meets and works with them just adores them. Right. So just by dint of that, us knowing each other and, and the years going by, there was an understanding and an energy that I think you you can hear in the performances and, and see in the show, definitely. Wow. That's astounding. I would have never guessed because many of my guests so far have talked about how they've recorded uh, together. So that, some I, shows like you do. said. Some shows do record together and yeah. you're, you'll be called in like you're making an on-camera TV show or movie. Uh, but, uh, and I've done a few of those, but then uh, a fair amount also do this where they just, it's just, I think it depends on how the producer prefers it. And Jackson just, he likes to meticulously get this one performance. And then when he knows he's got it, he's got it. And then he can cut it together with the other one that he's meticulously gotten by right. themselves. It's just a, a, a choice, I guess. That's amazing. Uh, wow. But that's the way he, I know it's a lot of work in editing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> But it's, it is remarkable because I think there's a real chemistry on the show. Oh, undoubtedly. Yeah. But everyone's recording at different times. Like, I'll go into the booth and I'd see Patrick leaving and go, hey. And then the scene would be me and Brock together. You know? Right. That's amazing. Yeah. Testament to the talent of the show for sure. So well, let's, let's get back to that deep cut because um, it, when it comes to pop culture, because it's not yes. just music that I, I think I've seen through your uh, Instagram, but also an appreciation for classic film. And yeah, classic I'm, I'm very, that's my biggest obsession. That's your forte? I'm super into movies, specifically old movies. I love actors, old actors, character actors. Right. 
from the 30s and whatnot. So yeah, that is kind of my obsession. Yes, now and then I watch a lot of old movies and now and then I'll take a screenshot of one while I'm watching it with my phone. I'm off of the TV and I'll post it to Instagram. Like that's, exactly. that's what I do instead of showing my meal. That is my <laughs> meal, man. That's sustenance in a way. I can appreciate that. Yes, that's it is. is. So <laughs> tell me then there has to be an old school movie homage when it comes to the voice of Phantom Limb. There actually, I think there is. Um, Although when I started, Phantom Limb is sort of a combination for me of a more contemporary person, Ian McKellen. uh, Because there were like Ian McKellen, although there are some old videos and films of him doing Shakespeare, like in the 70s. And he does have this great sort of deep English thing going on. And then the... the, uh, you may be familiar with the old character actor, George Sanders. He's an all about Eve. Uh, okay. Who is he in Jungle Book, Sarah? Shere Khan. He's Shere Khan in Jungle Book? Of course, of course. And he sort of talks like this too. He's got this sort of smooth English voice. They're both English guys and they both have this kind of silky baritone. Right. Uh, and um, so when Jackson first described Phantom Limb, and I read the script and saw the drawing of him. I thought, well, it's like a kind of Englishy guy, and Jackson thought that would work. And so I just—I remember I got kind of close to the mic. I got kind of—I got kind of close to the mic like this, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think at first I was sort of thinking Ian McKellen, but then as we, after I recorded, I thought, oh, he's kind of a George Sanders guy. So those are the two main influences for that character, definitely. Right. Oh, that's brilliant. And then I'm going to get to my favorite part. This is the part of the show that hooked me. And it was, I think, in part because of the writing, but definitely in part of your performance. I am a massive fan of the Thin White Duke. Yes. And when it came to As that are we voice, all. Oh, man. That was, it's brilliant. So how do you do the perfect Bowie? Well... I think I got better as the show went on. For I think sure. my Bowie got... I would actually like to George Lucas the show and go back and re-record my early Bowie. <laughs> right. So there's no... <laughs> Touch it up. Yeah. Touch it up a yeah. little. But I always loved Bowie. And um, I, well, I, I think what I learned eventually was that the, the trick... Bowie is from London. Mm-hmm. So he has a London accent. So what I would do is I would, you start with Bob Hoskins, who's like a Cockney London. Right. You know, Bob Hoskins, not Bob Hoskins in, uh, Bob Hoskins in A Long Good Friday, not Bob Hoskins in Who Frame Roger Rabbit, <laughs> right. where he's doing an American. But you do kind of a lower uh, register, a little bit of a sandpapery rasp in the back of the throat, and you're doing kind of a Cockney thing. And then you sort of smooth it out and you make it a little more posh, but it's still got that London rhythm. And then you've got Bowie going on tour. Uh, I know when to go out, I know when to stay in, get things done. That's, that's it. <laughs> that's, so, that, that's just so seamless for you at this point. That's well, it took a while to get better at it, yes. Yeah. When, I, when I hear my first attempts, I don't like them, but what can you do? It's there. So you know, the other things that uh, I really enjoy about your career is that you have had these kind of amazing, I actually grouped them together into what I like to call kind of a Jersey boy, New York stories. I am born and bred in New Jersey. I was going to say you're a proud Jersey boy. That's right. So, you know, there are these kind of interesting connections when it comes to the East coast. Now that you've moved to the West coast, you can reflect on that a little bit, but story number Mm -hmm. one. Oh, and I should note that I do believe your son's middle name is Jersey. That's correct, which is, has a double meaning because it's New Jersey and then it's, but the spelling is the Polish name Jersey. Oh, okay. Z. Right. Uh, like the, the late writer Jersey Kaczynski. So, yes, it's, it's a little Polish shout out, which uh, my father's side of the uh, family is. Uh, and then a, a, a bit of a pun about New Jersey, I guess. <laughs> I liked it. No, that's great. I love it. <laughs> little wordplay there. <laughs> Speaking as a Mike Johnson, I can appreciate when people get creative with names because <laughs> yeah. God knows growing up in the 80s, there were a million of us already. So, yes. yeah, I love it. 
Um, but, okay, legendary story, and I had to look this up, and there is a Please. clip online. You, in 1982... I know where this is going. Okay, do you want to complete the story then? You're referring to the David Letterman show. I am, I am. When, uh, and I would, I would, uh, I hate the clip, and I don't want to watch it. So if you're <laughs> going to put it in the show, don't play it now. Okay, fair enough. But, uh, when, yeah, when I was around 19, I was living in New Jersey, and I loved, first of all, this is, this is also generational. Anyone who was college age when uh, Letterman started out, uh, sort of, uh, not everyone, but, but there was a certain young audience he had that the show just felt like it was speaking to you. Right. It was like so, so funny and original and just really had the feeling of this is our show, this is different. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's that. So there was a real sense of ownership, and and this is a little corner of television. Back when there weren't a million channels, there's a little corner of TV that, for weirdos like us. That's it. Just it felt it was so special at the time. Yeah. It really was the feeling you had. So I loved the show. I watched it all the time, and I sent for tickets. I lived in New Jersey, got tickets. Took the in the mail. Got took the bus to New York. I went with my friend Anthony, great guy, uh, and we went to see the show. And the night prior, I had watched the show, and Letterman had come out, and in his opening monologue, he told a joke, and he stumbled on the words, and he said, "Ah, oh, forget it." And he went on to the next joke. He didn't right. complete the joke. So we're sitting there in the audience the following night. I'm at the show. Letterman comes out. He starts to tell that joke again. He stumbles on the words again. Right. And then he says, oh, damn it. The second night in a row, I tried to tell this joke and I screwed it up. And with the impetuousness of youth, he, he took a moment. And in that moment, I went, can I try it? <laughs> and everyone laughed and Letterman laughed. And he went, yeah, what the hell? Come on down here. Give it a shot. And I... <laughs> I had never been on TV before. I had done amateur acting. I was 19 years old. I was going right. to a community college in New Jersey. Wow. And as soon as I got on stage, I realized I was really nervous. And I could see myself on the monitor, and it did not go well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it just, I just kind of said the words. And then as a sort of a save, I did a kind of fake laugh. I went, <laughs> and I kind of... I don't remember if I actually touched him, but I kind of gave Letterman a little pat on the shoulder. And then he kind of went, yeah, why don't you just get back up there? And then later in the show, he actually did it a bit where he went into the audience and he said, I just, where's that kid? I want to stay away from him. <laughs> oh, but man. it happened, it aired, and I had, a, I had taped it on a uh, VHS. Yeah. I owned it for many years, and then at one point, I the tape accidentally got erased. Oh, no. Something else got taped over it. And then later, a friend of mine, someone I knew, found a copy, also I think on VHS. And and then unfortunately, the the uh, the internet as we know it happened, and a thing called YouTube happened. Mm-hmm. And someone found that. Oh, I told the story somewhere else in like another interview. And after that, someone found that clip and put it on YouTube. And I find it excruciating, Mike. <laughs> As you know, any any video of yourself at nineteen acting mm-hmm. like a jackass is not, you know, what you want to necessarily see. But it's out there, and it it is. It was also very. It feels of its time. I don't feel like the the. And I love Letterman through his whole career. But the Letterman of the, the final years of his career would not have allowed that to happen. He would not allow some geek to amble onto the stage with him. You know, I just, right. it, the show was just different. That wouldn't have happened. <laughs> uh, and so it's kind of a tribute to the show that that kind of crazy accident was allowed to uh, happen on the show. And that is what I loved about the show. Right. That's but amazing. I don't like seeing myself on it. <laughs> <laughs> you know but it was a great moment. I got to say, at the oh, time, fantastic. I was thrilled. Yeah. I, you know what, I see it as an amazingly confident 19-year-old who patted a legend on the back. <laughs> and you know what, the first time I watched it, I actually thought it was a bit because they kind of did stuff like that once in yeah, a while. Yeah, they did. And you didn't miss a beat with the, can I try it? I legitimately yes. thought it was a setup. 
But uh, Chris Elliott was a guy around my age who did do bits like that on the show, right. but they were actually professionally done and performed. <laughs> Uh, there's a big difference. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's great. Okay. New York story number two. New Jersey, Please. New York story. Yes. You worked, speaking of legends, with Woody Allen. I did. And how was that experience? I did. I'm in Sweet and Low Down, mm -hmm. the movie he made with Sean Penn. Uh, it was... It was very educational. <laughs> say what you will about him. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Yes. No. I'm glad you addressed uh, that. Say what you will about him. But I found that fascinating because I actually don't really say much in the movie, but I play, for those who don't know, it's set in like the 1930s and Sean Penn plays a jazz musician. And I'm not a musician, but he cast actors to play the members of his band. And a couple of actors in the band did play. Yeah. I think there's like one or two real musicians and then there's just actors. So I'm playing rhythm guitar in the band, but I'm just faking it. We're all playing, we're all playing to the soundtrack, but you know, right. Sean Penn hadn't played either. He learned for the movie. Okay. But in the final movie, you never really, I'm in it a lot because you see the band on stage all the time, but I think you hear me speak once off camera, but because I'm in it a lot, I, we shot for like two and a half months, so I got to basically watch Woody Allen direct and Sean Penn act in a movie wow. for like two and a half months, and that was really interesting. Yeah. And I actually kind of learned a lot about just how one manages one energy on a set, because that's when I really started out. Like I had the breakthrough thing for me in terms of making a living at this was an independent film called Henry Fool, right. which, which uh, was made in 1997 by a great guy named Hal Hartley. And it's a low-budget movie, but I had a big part in it. And so when that came out, I was suddenly in a movie. Yeah. So that led to getting an agent. I didn't even have an agent when I started that movie because I had just met the director in New York. Wow. Anyway, the point is that was one of my first, the Woody Allen movie was like one of my first films, first jobs. I'd been doing theater for a long time, but not movies. So it was just fascinating to be on a set and watch pros like that, you know. Yeah. Now, Mr. Allen is a bit, uh, he was... Not unpleasant, but he's not warm. Hmm. He's a little standoffish, and he's just kind of keeps to himself. Right. And as one gets a career in show business, you meet various famous people. I've met lots of famous people, and some of them are like, James Urbaniak, you know. And he was never like that. I don't remember him ever saying my name. Right. I would come in in the morning. He would be on the set, and he would see me, and he'd be like, like <laughs> oh, yeah, there's that guy who's in the band, you know. Yeah, but uh, it was it was an exciting experience uh, at the time. Yeah. Well, yeah. speaking of the people that you've met, because you know you've worked. I'm going to name a couple Canadian heroes since I am from the <laughs> Toronto area. Please. The amazing, and I think she should get the uh, the Order of Canada if she hasn't already. Miss Andrea Martin. Andrea Martin, one of the greats. I had the, of course. The same time I was watching uh, Letterman in the 80s, I was watching Second City TV. Of course. Just incredible show that also, anyone who was sort of young in the 80s watching that, who was in a comedy, was like, loved that show. Right. It was as good as anything, and she was brilliant. And yes, I had the great pleasure of working with her for three years on this Hulu show called Difficult People, right. created by an old friend of mine, Julie Klausner. My career is just friends of mine giving me jobs, and then... <laughs> Now and then, Woody Allen, for some reason, casting me in something right. where he doesn't talk to me on the set. But uh, uh, that was, talk about, I just talked about how I learned a lot about filmmaking on the Woody Allen set. Working with Andrea Martin on a show is like taking a master class in comedy acting. Oh, that's amazing. Because she's so good. From like the table read, she's like got these ideas and she's killing it. Like she's right. just, and she's also a real sweet person. She's delightful. She also uh, used the expression 100% a lot if, if for yes or I agree. If you're like, you know, should we have lunch? 100% when she would say that. And now I say that constantly. So I picked that up from Andrea Martin. Nice. I probably said it in this interview at some point, maybe. Not 100%. There you go. There. Uh, well, there you go. But I will. <laughs> and, and so I picked that up from her. But that was uh, so exciting. And she was, and also because she was such a warm, lovely person. But uh, such a pro. Oh, my God. Oh, and she's just funny as hell. She's incredible. I can imagine. That's fantastic. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of funny Canadians, uh, one of my favorite guest stars on Venture Brothers was Mr. Nathan Fillion. Did you ever get a chance to meet him? 
Nathan, I did. I did. I knew I had met Nathan because for a few years I did this show in LA that you probably are familiar with called The Thrilling Adventure Hour, right? Which was a stage show uh, written by these two guys, Acker and Blacker, and they uh, uh, they into into the run. They started recording it, and it became a fairly popular podcast of the like the live shows. Kind of a parody of like old time radio serials and stuff. Yeah. But they got a lot of good actors in that. And Nathan had come in to do a bunch of those. He became kind of a regular. So I met him doing that. So I, and so then when he did the Venture Brothers, I, I did know him a little bit. Oh, great. Uh, but he's, he's also a lovely guy, a mensch. Yeah. yeah. If Love you're not guy. a lovely person in Canada, they ship you out. <laughs> so, That's right. Yes, yeah. they, they have to be. I think they're afraid, you know, CSIS is watching. That's what it says like. on the flag. We're <laughs> nice here. That's Canada, right. we're nice. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of theater, because this is what I want to touch on with your broad career, your amazing career, because I really appreciate people uh, like you and your family. I will say the lovely Sarah as well is a very talented artist. So you are very... Thank you, yes. My wife, Sarah Pocock, is a uh, cartoonist and artist. And that hasn't We're brushed off at all? I was. She's sitting opposite me. She's actually working right now opposite oh, love me it. at the table. Uh, but yes, uh, you just got a shout out. <laughs> she just did this. Oh, nice. 100%. <laughs> um, so, so, and she hasn't offered to give you any drawing lessons yet, just to give you that little... No, that's note. a good question, yes. The, the question was, have you offered to uh, improve my drawing skills? I don't think I've asked, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it I'd hasn't come up. To. She'd be happy to. She's <laughs> Oh, that's great. <laughs> we'll figure out a rate that she agrees with, and I'll take some <laughs> You're classes. You're pretty good already. Yeah. Well, I'm all right. <laughs> that was high praise. You're pretty good already. That's I know. Great. It was high praise. You can actually draw. Oh wow, she's yeah. I've seen the album covers and things that she's oh, yeah. designed. Yeah, so, she's yeah. done a bunch of album covers and things. Yeah, here. absolutely, that's amazing. But when it came to something that I think is very ingrained in your personality, you were a co-founder of the Arden Party Theater Group. Oh my goodness, yes, that's that's. Uh, gosh, uh, in these interviews, uh, people always say you've done your research. <laughs> so that's a you've done your research, Michael. Yeah, what that was actually the first r real like professional thing. That's how I started out. I met a, a in the eighties, hmm. very long time ago. <laughs> I met a theater director named Karen Coonrod, and Karen Coonrod is a brilliant person who wanted to form a theater company. And at the time, I was just kind of a young slacker in New Jersey. I'd gone to college for a couple of years, but hadn't finished and was doing a lot of amateur theater, enjoyed acting, but wasn't really necessarily thinking I wanted to do it for a living. and was just kind of working day jobs and hanging out in New Jersey and doing amateur theater, early 20s. Wow. And Karen and I met, and, and she had very specific ideas about what she wanted to do. Uh, and she wanted to do, the, to do this seriously, professionally. And we had worked on a sort of semi-professional semi play in New Jersey that she directed that I got into. And, and then she, um, basically, we, we ended up forming this theater company together. And we started doing shows in New York. So that's what, that's what uh, inspired me to move to New York was... Wow forming that theater company called Arden Party, like you said, A-R-D-E-N, Party. Because when Karen and I met, we had done a production of As You Like It by Shakespeare. Oh, amazing. It takes place in the forest of Arden. So we were like, Arden, Arden something. And Karen said, party, like a group and a celebration. We thought, that's great. <laughs> so that's what it was. And then uh, we were working in New York uh, starting in the late 80s. And there was a whole generation of theater people. This is off, off Broadway, you know, the downtown scene, for lack of a better word. But right. that's geographically where there was this kind of stuff was happening. People doing low budget theater. And there was a whole scene there at the time that was very exciting. And it really was, you really felt like you were a part of something. And I didn't really have any formal training. That's kind of how I learned how to do this. And we were producing our own plays and doing everything. <clears throat> Excuse me. We were building the sets. I was painting the sets. I used to design the posters using my amateurish graphic skills. Oh, amazing. 
we go out at night and we paste the posters up. And this is like, this is like super early, like way pre email and stuff. So it was just about word of mouth, posters, flyers, just getting people to come to the shows. And a lot of my, Steve Ritazzi, Dr. Orpheus, was a guy I knew from that scene who worked with my theater company and stuff. So okay. that's how I, that's really how I started out in New York. And none of us were getting any money from this at the time, but we were in New York doing it seriously. So I consider that the start of my professional career, even though, you know, we were all working day jobs at the time, but we right. were in the big city working and, and taking it seriously. And it was a very exciting time. Oh, that's great. great. Yeah, and and clearly theater has kind of stuck with you because you're an award-winning theater actor. Oh well, are thank you? you. Yeah, I I I I did a ton of theater in New York. Like I I worked with that company Arden Party for like pretty much my first like six years in New York. It was just that company. That's all wow. I did was work with them. And then I kind of took a break. The company itself lasted about ten years, but I sort of took a little break from it. Um, and worked with other companies and people I met downtown uh, and then kind of went from off-off-Broadway to off-Broadway and then I did one Broadway play but you know I was always very much into the the sort of downtown theater scene but yeah yeah I, I won an award or two during that time it was nice <laughs> <laughs> it's always rewarding isn't it yeah 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 it is, absolutely it is. but then when I moved to LA there's not as much of a scene in LA, of course. And though there's a lot of live performing, there's a lot of comedy and stuff and like uh, sketch stuff and whatever. Mm -hmm. And I would do some of that, like Thrilling Adventure was a live show, but it, it wasn't the same. And so I do miss that, but it's, it's, that's, and God only knows what the future of the theater scene is going to be now in New York and elsewhere during these unusual times. That we're yeah, sad, but true. Absolutely. But I, that's how I came up and I do, I, I, it's, it's got such a huge place in my heart, my history, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of these shows, because Adventure Time, you've been a part of several times. Um, Did a couple episodes. There you go. And that, how, what's that experience like? Because, you, you know, again, an amazing cast with that show. Are you working independently again? Are you seeing some of these legends work and do voiceover that, artistry? That I think... I think we did do, I think when we recorded Adventure Time, they they sometimes did record with other actors there. I seem to recall that happening. Uh, but yeah, I got that. And that was also sort of because my wife is an animator and she knew people who worked on that show and, and that sort of helped. Uh, yeah, a guy named Ken Osborne was directing that show for a while. Right. And I had met him through my wife, and, and he had asked me to do that. Uh, in fact, one of the episodes that I did uh, is a sort of interesting episode where a worm uh, has an accident. A worm accidentally cuts its, cuts its tail off and then goes on a kind of journey. It's, it's just a one-off character. But the, the, the inciting incident of the episode is a worm is injured. <laughs> it's adventure time, right? Of course. And um, the worm is very upset and says something like, oh, I was so stupid, so stupid the way I hurt myself. And that was actually based on an incident where me, my wife, Kent, this guy, and uh, other people were at a party in L.A. And a woman who was a friend of ours, uh, in a moment of party fun climbed a fence that was outside and she slipped and she cut herself she cut her hand on the fence oh, uh, and uh, I don't know why she was climbing the fence I don't remember maybe she was trying to look at a dog or something <laughs> uh, my wife just went right so, yes we were all <laughs> drinking and stuff but she just she was just doing something goofy like she and she cut herself and then I remember she went oh I'm so stupid and then Kent ended up writing he also wrote for the show and he put that into the script where the little worm 
cuts its tail off by accident and says, oh, I'm so stupid. So I was actually there at the birth of one of the episodes. <laughs> Ripped from the headlines again, yeah, as we that's say. too funny. So being involved in these shows, because Venture Brothers is massive. You've been a part of Star Wars voiceover work, video it's games. It's true. I'm in the canon. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. You should be getting those residual There's something I always forget. People always remind me of that, that I'm in the Star Wars canon. So it's curious when you have experienced this, because you said your first real experience um, of seeing what a connection people had to the show was at a convention, which is insane. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like being on that side of the floor. I've been on the, the fan side. What do you think about fandom these days? Because obviously, I'm sure you're very thankful when it comes to the fans of Venture Brothers, but... We, you know, we're so protective with the internet now, you know, and everybody posts their opinions. Do you have? Uh, Well, I'm a little outside of that would be (laughs) how I'd answer that. And I'm actually not that fanish myself, although I'm obsessed with like these old films and I can tell you the names of all these old actors. But I'm, I actually am not that into like a lot of, I don't have anything against it. I'm just, I'm not that into like comic books or the Marvel universe or even right. Star Wars. And like, I'm not putting it down. I really am not. I'm just not that into it. Yeah. So I don't really pay attention to those arguments. I understand what you're saying. And yeah. I know that there is a lot of this very intense proprietary thing, which can get into a weird area. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I, I'm sort of peripherally aware when that has happened. Yeah, it's I know it's happened to people. I know like creators of cartoons uh, will sometimes get shit themselves for yeah. some bizarre reason. You know, so I'm aware of that, but I don't have that. I don't really have that strong feeling about that. And my, my experience is just from the Venture Brothers and other things that I've done. And like the first time I went to a convention. And a guy came up to me dressed like Dr. Adventure with a bald head and a goatee. Right. I thought it was amazing. (laughs) And I always loved it. And I've never had a bad experience with anybody at a convention. Or really, I'm not aware that there's been any sort of weird inter- internal rivalries you know what i mean among yeah. venture brothers fans i don't know maybe we were lucky that way <laughs> i think it, but maybe that speaks to again the, the, just the attraction <laughs> and the fun of the show because yeah i think the way you deal with it is is extremely healthy <laughs> because yeah i mean there's so much but, yeah there. i mean i'm very pro social network and i'm very pro just put your ideas out there and be right. civil about it so I, I don't have a sort of these kids today with their Twitter and their <laughs> arguments kind of point of view. See, now you sounded like a boomer. That was a boomer <laughs> for sure. <laughs> That's right. So I want to touch on maybe the final art because I found your YouTube page, which was very funny. Ah, yes. And what there's I not much there out is, there. I've, there's not much I have on YouTube. Just a couple little random things. But something recent, which I found absolutely uh, a, a, mm. adorable, I was about to say, but hilarious. <laughs> um, it, you know, has the NFL been in touch about your Washington football team? Oh, thank you. Yes. Uh, i telling the audience, as you know, the Washington... Uh, the former Redskins uh, dropped the name, but hadn't come up with a new name. And so they made an announcement saying, for the time being, they were going to be the Washington football team. Right. And I, I mean, that's funny. I mean, I agree they should drop that dumb, archaic name. Right. A racist, but uh, like, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. But, but, saying we're the, but saying we're the Washington football team was really funny. Yeah. And so... I suddenly had this idea and I went off, I picked up my phone and I just sang like a kind of dumb old fashioned like football team song. And I made up some lyrics about the Washington football team. And then a friend of mine, who's a professional musician named Jonathan Dinerstein, who I've collaborated with on projects, texted me, he said, hey, I really liked your song. Uh, Maybe I could do a little, orchestration for it. <laughs> so then he ended up he ended up making it better. He he 
he then sent me a track of him playing the melody, which he actually improved, right. an improved version of my dumb melody on the piano. And then I re-recorded it. Go Washington football team, win the football game. Ra, 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 live up to your name. Go Washington football team, pride of all DC. F-O-O-T-B-A-L-L-T-E-A-M-E. And then I decided, well, let's make this a YouTube video. And I made a little video for it. And thank you. It, it got a fair amount of likes. It, 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 kind, of, it kind of came and went. But uh, people, if you go to you, James Urbaniak, Washington football team on YouTube, you'll find it. And I think it's a dandy little song. Never yeah. heard from the Washington football team. Kind of hoped I would, but... What well, can you, you do? Know, it was just a labor of, and the irony is, I'm not into sports either. Like I really don't care about football, right? But I, 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 I wanted to express uh, how silly that name was. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So perfect timing. We're talking about music. We're talking about silly. I had asked yes. a massive favor of you because one of your tweets recently I found absolutely hilarious. Shared it yes. with my wife. I love that you had said this generation might have WAP, but Gen That's Xers, right. uh, we had the original. Do you want to talk about that song first and foremost? Well, it was something, it was just a joke about how today's kids may have uh, WAP, but uh, we Gen Xers had Liz Fair's, uh, whatever it is, uh, HWC. Right. That was it. That was that was something like that, and it was just a. And I got to say, Liz Fair saw that and liked it, which made me very proud. I was That's very amazing. delighted. Uh, and for those who don't know, uh, the great Liz Fair, who came up in the '90s, uh, of, you know, of the Gen X generation, uh, she has some bawdry. Sometimes she she engages in bawdry. Sometimes her lyrics get a little blue. The things mm. that wouldn't make the parents resource music center happy, but they're <laughs> songs by adults for adults. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So everything's good. And one of her more uh, ribald numbers uh, is <laughs> <it's> called, <laughs> this is where I'm now not even a boomer. I'm like a guy who was born in 1904, <laughs> uh, is it called HWC, which stands for something. Mm -hmm. Look it up, kids. Uh, yeah, which, uh, yeah, I don't feel like saying it on no, the air no. here. <laughs> but you had sent me a funny email saying, would you read the lyrics to WHC in a Dr. Venture voice? And I said, well, I'm protective of Dr. Venture. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I want to read the dirty parts, <laughs> but I could read some of it. And it did occur to me that Dr. Venture does have his own dirty phrase, which is a rusty venture, <laughs> right? Uh, which is actually ARV. So we could, we could do a sort of, uh, I could read a snippet and replace... Um, because she doesn't use the initials in right. the uh, in the song, but I could replace the HWC with Rusty Venture. Oh, that and would be great. See what happens, please. Yes. <laughs> well, I'll just read a little of it, and okay, I, I actually printed this out because oh, I, I figured we you yeah we were going to do this. <laughs> Here, sir, how would Doctor Venture do this? Let's see. Give it to me. Oh, he's kind of loud. Is this is this uh, peaking or anything? No, I'll, no, I'll you're Step back from the mic. All right. Give it to me, don't give it away. Don't think about what the others say. My skin's getting clear, my hair's so bright. All you, oh, so here's a verb, which is also a naughty word. Uh, well, I'm gonna replace this with another word. Okay. Because I just don't, I don't need Dr. Venture swearing out no, there on the no internet. You no, you know, <laughs> I am a member of the Parents Resource Music Center. Um, <laughs> all you do is brock me every day and night. How's that, Mike? Perfect. You're my secret beauty routine. I'm looking good and I'm feeling nice. Oh my God, I haven't done a Dr. Venture attack in a long time. That was fun. That sounds like him, right? Oh, that was perfect. All right, good. Absolutely. <laughs> Baby. Oh, now, you know when Dr. Venture gets sexy, he kind of goes like, meow. I'll try that. Lower, that's right. Baby, you're the best magazine advice. Give me your rusty venture thank you that's that's about all i can read right now amazing the rest of you can look it up Liz yes Fair. yeah but we, we love her as as our president says we love her don't we we love liz fair uh just don't look it up at work we don't want to get anybody just don't fired. look it up at work that's nope. right just as your boss strolls over 
Oh, man. So what's, <laughs> what's next? I mean, you're, you're probably still working or with this environment, what's happening? Well, I must say, uh, <laughs> it's funny. actually, I'm like, I have a couple of like, I have like a TV and a tentative film thing lined up, but the question, like, there's no start date. They're just like, oh. uh, I guess when we're ready to start shooting, well, to, right. so that's nice to know. And, um, but I'll tell you, um, I, uh, a few years ago, I started a, a, a podcast uh, called Getting On with James Urbaniak, which was little, uh, little scripted plays, like radio plays. Mm -hmm. And most of them were short. Uh, I fell in uh, to a writing partnership. Uh, a great, very talented writer, a great friend of mine named Bree Williams. And we started writing these little things together. And we uh, produced them. And uh, they used to be on a network that went out of business. So uh but we're and right now they sort of just exist on like a, a libsyn page you know right. that sort of page just for starter podcasts it, we're writing some new stuff and uh we're looking to have someone produce it so that's all i can say right now but but there'll be some scripted uh uh like radio podcast plays by me and brie great uh sometime hopefully in the near future Excellent. Uh, but I kind of, we're still sort of waiting to hear from some people, so I can't really say where it might be, right. <laughs> you know, but it'll be somewhere. Okay. And, uh, and I'm excited about that. Uh, and uh, I'll be tweeting about them when they happen. Perfect. But we, yeah, we have one, uh, we have one piece that's actually uh, a long piece that we wrote that's sort of like an audio movie. And then we, we're working on a, a series. It's sort of like an audio series based on actual historical events, uh, which I'll just say takes place sort of in LA in like the early 40s with kind oh, of wow. a showbiz background, but that's all I'll say right now. But that's actually, and Brie and I are also now writing some other stuff. So that's very uh, fun use of my time right now is writing stuff. And there have been like, I've had a couple of voiceover jobs uh, that I've done at home. There's a <laughs> there's a kid show called Bubble Guppies that I just oh, did a voice yes. on. My uh, son and, loves Bubble Guppies. Oh yeah, and I just recorded uh, something there. Why? What's that? You did voices for our game that's coming out in November. Oh, and uh, thank you. My wife is reminding me that she works for a game company called TikTok Games, and uh, there's a game called Bark. Uh, and I, I just did some voices for that as well. Excellent. So, uh, Nintendo Switch. If it's a Nintendo Switch game. Thank okay. you. Thank you for reminding me of that, darling. <laughs> so there's, uh, there's some voice cool. where, yeah, and I recorded that in my closet where I record when I'm at home because it's mm -hmm. got stuff hanging up and it buffers sound nicely. Perfect. <laughs> That's amazing. Great. And you know what? I hate to give false hope to the fans out there already, but as soon as you were canceled, there were tweets, Instagram posts, whatever, about who is going to pick you up. Like they just yes, think it's right. going to happen. What's your opinion? Do you even want to share one at this point or do you just kind of want to take a step back? Oh, no, I mean, that'd be great. Here's, my, here's what I think. I, I think that this is sort of my approach to show business. I don't expect anything to happen. And if something does happen, that will be a nice surprise. <laughs> right. That's how I feel. <laughs> Love it. Uh, yeah. I mean, it has happened before. And, uh, but I don't know that, uh, you know, I'll know if when Jackson calls me and says, hey, we're going to do something, that'll be great. And, but I do believe that, of course, Jackson and Doc will be doing other things in the future, whether or not it's Venture Brothers. And I feel that a lot of the team will follow them there. That seems very likely, you know. Right. So, yeah, but I mean, that'd be awesome if we could do some sort of, even if we just did like a one-off official finale uh, type thing. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not expecting anything to happen, but I'll be, no one will be more delighted than me if something Excellent. does happen. So. Well, fingers crossed. Yeah, so exactly. What, what a very healthy Go way to venture. Look at, <laughs> <laughs> what a very healthy way to look at things, James. And I can't thank you <laughs> enough for uh, for your time and oh, for sure. thank you. all of this. This was fantastic. Um, I just encourage all my listeners then to stay tuned for that podcast and for whatever you may be doing in the future. And in the meantime, 
watch those seven seasons because it was one of the greatest animated shows yes in my youth so you yeah. can definitely i think they're all i think i know there's a bunch of seasons on hulu i'd forget if they're all on there but if you have that and yeah you know you can find it near more dubious corners of the internet somewhere <laughs> i'm not going to name any russian file uh, sharing services but you know what i'm talking about right exactly <laughs> Uh, but thanks so much, James, for your time. This was great. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Michael. Well, there you have it for all you Urbaniac maniacs. You like that? I just thought of that. <laughs> I was really proud of that. Uh, I can't thank James enough once again for coming on our sophomore episode. Can't thank you enough for listening. You got to tune in to future episodes. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. Of course, you can find us on filmspeak.net. You can find us on anchor.fm. But... Of course, Vocal Cues is available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all that fun stuff. Uh, next week, we've got another amazing guest. I will hint at who the guest may be on the social networks things. Uh, the social, as the kids say. So you got to follow us at Vocal Cues, Q-S, on Twitter. Uh, but of course, on filmspeak.net, we hint all the time. My channel, uh, Real School on youtube sorry for all the puns it doesn't really help with audio but real school is r-e-e-l school (sighs) i was an english teacher okay i like puns you know what can i say but otherwise i hope you enjoyed this interview and uh, we'll see you next week thanks cue ballers